Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 142, and goodness gracious, it's it's been like a year since I've released an episode of Queerology. I'll share a little bit more about that in a minute, but right now, goodness, does it feel good to be back. Hi! Uh, Last year, when I released the most recent episode of the show with Maddie Zom, I didn't really anticipate that it would be the last episode for a while, but turns out that life had other plans. Don't worry, nothing tragic happened. But I did start to drop the ball in several places, and and one of which was Queerology. Um, So I've heard from so many of you that you've missed the show, and I have missed making it. Uh, And I have to be honest, I am not sure that regular episodes of Queerology are coming back anytime soon. Uh, Part of what I have been doing in the last year, among many other things, (laughs) is discerning what projects stay in my life, what projects need to end in order to make room for more creative work. And while I've been thinking about it for months at this point, I am still not sure where Queerology fits. Uh... I love making this show. I love the community that has come out of it. I love the conversations that we get to have that dive deep into topics that uh, queer folks don't often have space to talk about in in ways that feel safe and and contained. Uh, And I have a lot of ideas for other shows. (laughs) I have a lot of ideas for other work. And 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 yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what that all means. So right now, what I can tell you is I am in a little bit of a holding pattern when it comes to queerology. Uh, I will let you know what I decide. It may be next month that I decide. It may be another many months (laughs) before I decide. But I will let you know what's going to happen. And I'll let you know here on the queerology feed. And I'm happy to share with you that you get at least two new episodes to tide you over for a bit. Today's and next week's for sure. There may be some others, uh, but at least two. And I'll tell you about that right now. Uh, as many of you know, I have been hard at work on a new book. Uh, th- this book is what has made it impossible for me to be able to keep creating new episodes. <laughs> I am a team of me making this show. It's it's just me. Uh, and, it, and it turns out that writing a book and trying to keep up with my regular job and making a podcast was too much. Uh, But I do hope that you'll find that this new book at least partly makes up for for this lack of, for the lack of episodes. So this week I'm going to share with you from this new book. Next week on the show, my dear friend Kevin Garcia is joining me both here on the Queerology feed, but also on their podcast, A Tiny Revolution, to chat about the book, which means that I'm going to be in the guest seat next week. We had a lovely conversation about healing uh, and about what it means to start to heal from uh, places of spiritual harm. And and that's what this book is all about. I, I've spent so much time on this book. It, it is near and dear to my heart. And it, and it was born out of the many, many conversations that I've had on this show. I felt like a common theme was coming up over and over and over again here on Queerology, but also in my conversations outside of this show. 
Uh, and the question was, what do I do with my faith? I, I've been asking that question too. Uh, with the continued polarization happening here in the States, and it's happening other places as well, it, it has seemed more and more difficult to identify with Christianity as it's being used as a tool to harm queer and trans folks in ways that are that are downright evil. I don't use that word lightly. <laughs> what is happening, especially to trans folk, but to queer folks as well. I mean, they're coming for all of us. And, and to continue to identify with this religion that is being used to perpetrate that harm, uh, it, it, it's it's really difficult. And, and I know, I, I mean, I, and I hope you all know too for, from even listening to this show, like there's so much nuance in that. I know there are so many other forms of Christianity out there. And, and, and some of what this show has done is is exploring what else is out there. And it gets harder and harder, more and more difficult. And yet, there, there's something in me that hasn't been ready to let go yet, that isn't ready to let go yet. And, and that's what this book was born out of. And I'll say this right off the bat too. Um, if you are in a place where you're ready to let go, or if you have let go of your faith completely, I'm really proud of you. I think that leaving something that has been harmful is one of the bravest things that we can do. So so if that's you, well done. I hope this book is for you too. It, it may not be. It, it may not be the book that you need, but, but in this book, I, I try to talk about what it means to actually heal. I talk a lot about rediscovering faith in this book, but but I don't think it's a book just for folks who are wanting to rediscover faith. I, I think it's a book that will help people uh, whether or not you identify as faith. So so I haven't even told you what the title is yet. <laughs> but th this book was born out of all of that tension, and it's called Holy Runaways, Rediscovering Faith After Being Burned by Religion. And I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. But before you do that, I wanted to let you know that the book is available for pre-order right now. And that's important because I'm doing a little giveaway for folks who pre-order the book. So if, if you've paid attention to my social media over the last year, uh, you'll remember that earlier this year, I co-taught a seminar called Healing from Spiritual Abuse uh, with uh, my dear friend and longtime mentor of mine, Rachel Clinton Chen. Uh, Rachel is a spiritual abuse expert, and we joined forces to, to teach this two-hour online seminar. And we charged $49 for it. Uh, we had a lot of people come. It was an amazing time. And I am so happy to share that if you pre-order Holy Runaways, we're going to give it to you for free. So all, all you have to do is you know, order the book, <laughs> then email a copy of your receipt to pre-order at holyrunaways.com. I, I heard from folks who participated in, in this seminar uh, that it was profoundly healing for them. And whether you've experienced spiritual abuse or just, and I say just in heavy air quotes, <laughs> just spiritual harm, I think this seminar is full of insight and exercises that will help you 
as you heal and, and as you work to reintegrate your faith, your lack of faith, um, I, I think it's a, it's a really powerful couple hour seminar. So all the details of how to get access to that for free can be found at holyrunaways.com. So I'm going to read to you from this book, from the author's note and from the introduction. So author's note, a word about pain. If you've picked up this book, you've probably been wounded by Christianity and you're trying to figure out what to do with that pain perhaps how to work with it and gain strength and perspective from the healing process. But I need to warn you that reading this book might hurt. In fact, you might need to stop as you read some passages. In this book, I pull out Bible verses, mention Jesus often, and share many anecdotes that may press on the wounds you're trying to heal. I hope the way I approach these topics will help wrap language around your pain, like a healing bandage. But it could as easily go the other way. It might feel like taking sandpaper to your already bleeding skin. If I saw you in real life rubbing sandpaper on your bleeding wounds, I'd gently step in to ask why you're using something abrasive to try to heal yourself. With that in mind, I hope you will pause at any point when this book is bringing you that kind of pain and ask yourself the same question. Why are you trying to use sandpaper to heal? Yes, pain is often part of the process of healing. But there's a difference between the kind of pain that comes when our bodies are healing and the kind of pain that causes more damage. I trust your ability to discern the difference. If this book looks like a block of sandpaper to you when you open it, please put it down and find a bandage instead. If that means walking away from your faith completely, may you do so with blessing. And to those of you who don't have wounds or scars, but are reading this for other reasons, welcome. If you're hoping to learn from a new perspective and deepen your ability to empathize with others, I hope Holy Runaways offers you some insight and ways to connect with those who have been hurt by religious institutions and people. Just remember that throughout the book, I'll be talking directly to those who bear the scars, but I'm glad you're listening too. Let's begin. Introduction. When I was little, I thought there was something romantic and magical about running away. In the north woods of Wisconsin, where my parents worked at a large Christian camp, my sisters, other staff members' kids, and I often wandered off into the woods to play some variation of a runaway game. Let's pretend we're orphans running away from the evil orphanage keeper. You be the mean mom, and the rest of us will run away. We spent hours pretending we were running, hiding, and creating a new home. A new world where we would be safe from all the evil adults. Not that any of the adults in our lives were particularly evil, but we were raised on the boxcar children, Annie and a little princess. Those stories captured our imaginations, bringing far away worlds of risk and survival to life. The kids in those stories braved all odds to pull through on their own, to get away from the bad guys who pursued them. 
and after they made their great escapes, the kids in the pages of our books somehow created homey comfort in beds of moss and within walls of woven sticks. Later, after my family moved to Iowa when I was ten, to a spot of land surrounded by cornfields, I announced loudly to my parents at least a half-dozen times, I'm running away. I'd pack a bag, a change of clothes, fresh underwear, and a water bottle, and stomp out of the house, my mom always handing me a snack or two just before I slammed the door. I usually did my running in the winter. I'm not really sure why, and in retrospect, it would have been more strategic to run during the long, warm summer days. But in those rebellious moods, thinking critically was the last thing on my mind. I was already anxious about resisting my parents' expectations, already understanding that I was supposed to fit into a pretty narrow box that defined exactly what a good Christian kid should do and say. I had different, bigger plans. I'll show them. I'll go become famous, like Amy Grant. I'd traipse over frozen ground, my breath visible in clouds in front of me, as I huffed out all the frustration in my little body. I always headed toward the huge, empty metal grain bins on the other side of the property we lived on. It was a good place to set up home base while I figured out how to get to a recording studio. Once inside, I'd brush aside the thin layer of corn or soybeans that still littered the floors from the fall harvest, and dream about finding parents who would let me do whatever I wanted, and of my new life as a Christian pop artist. Every time I sat alone on that cold, dusty floor, I talked through the pros and cons, reasoning with myself out loud. And every time, I finally decided I did actually like my parents, and they weren't actually evil. Maybe, I told myself, I was the bad one because I had abandoned them, abandoned my home. As I looked around the ice-cold stainless steel walls, I thought maybe not being allowed to paint my room a color other than white wasn't so bad after all. String by string, the cheese sticks my mom had handed me disappeared and so did my confidence. What was I going to do for food on the way to Los Angeles or New York or Nashville? I couldn't eat the grains of corn scattered in front of me. I usually endured the cold until my ears felt tingly. No annoying hats or earmuffs allowed in my new world of freedom. And eventually, I ran home and through the back door, just in time to take my seat at the kitchen table for dinner. Another runaway attempt thwarted, but the allure remained. It still remains. Now, in my thirties, I sometimes nurse the hope of something different, something better, all easily within my grasp by just running away from the current dull white box I'm living in. Why not get a fresh start, drop all the trappings of my ordinary life and suddenly become something new? someone different and better, with different and better problems. These days, I mostly imagine dropping everything and moving to a new city. When life gets particularly hard, or when I'm feeling particularly lonely or misunderstood, I'll start dreaming and googling. Maybe Denver, or Minneapolis. Or maybe back to that little town in Arkansas where I went to college. Oh, look at all the things I could afford far from the West Coast. Look at this charming house I could buy for less than I pay for rent in Seattle. 
I could drive an Audi. I'd be so much cooler there. Everything would be better, wouldn't it? I don't think I'm alone in these fantasies. I don't have any data to back this up, but have you ever noticed the only show HGTV ever seems to play anymore is some version of House Hunters? And all those texts I get from friends, maybe you get them too. Imagining sharing a condo they found in Puerto Vallarta, or dreaming of being able to afford to remodel a chateau in France like the people they stumbled across on social media. They're clearly thinking the same thing, how nice it would be to escape. We'd all be wearing loose, white, linen clothing and laughing into the sunset. Yes, I know. There's the fantasy of running away, and then there's real life, when you run out of cheese sticks. I imagine you can think of a moment in your past when you have become a runaway, when you packed your bags and jumped in the car or bought a bus ticket. Maybe your decision was suddenly forced upon you, and you didn't even have time to pack a bag. We all run away, whether from our jobs, our hometowns, or our families. We leave marriages, friendships, and church communities. In this book, I'm going to talk about how and why we leave our faith and what happens afterward. As a therapist, I often listen to people tell their stories of running away, and I almost always hear them talk about a nagging question echoing in their heads. Is it me? Is there something wrong with me? Am I the bad one for trying to run away? Just like I thought I must be a bad son for thinking about leaving my parents as a 10-year-old. Just like I was sure I was a bad Christian for thinking about leaving my church when I was in my 20s. Do you hear those questions echoing in your mind too, with their anxious follow-ups? Is this suffering I'm experiencing really something I deserve? Are they all right and I'm all wrong? Maybe all I need to do is change myself to make myself fit in better. Or, most painfully, what did I do wrong to make it all go bad? There's a yearning in those kinds of questions. A yearning for things to go back to normal. Back to what they were. A yearning to return home to a familiar kitchen table and a familiar family around it. Each of us runs away in our unique ways. But in the past several years, I've heard more and more stories of people who grew up like me, white suburban church kids, who are running from their spiritual homes and asking strikingly similar questions. Really big questions like, what happened to the world? What happened to the ideals I learned about in Sunday school? Is this faith in which I once felt comfortable and protected now a tool of oppression and hatred? In the past few years, people of my generation have watched over 80% of our peers, our parents, and the people who babysat us vote against almost every value we were taught, including compassion, kindness, empathy, and love. And we have heard those people insist that we're the ones who don't understand. We have struggled to make sense of it. And if you're anything like me, you've been completely baffled. Most days feels as if the world has flipped on its head. We're being told right is wrong. Evil is actually good. And Jesus' instruction to love thy neighbor meant it's okay to throw kids in cages while singing the national anthem. 
Then, speechless, we watched people we love vote for it all again. Now, as I write this, it feels as if we're waking up from a weird dream and seeing our surroundings with new eyes. What was once a place of safety, goodness, and so-called purity, a place we called home, has turned out to be a place of harm. There were good parts in our past, yes, indeed, but almost everyone I know has trauma, whether subtle or overt, lodged in our bodies. When we try to talk about it, someone inevitably shuts it down, yells at us, gaslights us. Someone else inevitably steps in and says we need to repent and get back on the narrow path to salvation. It's confusing, to say the least. How do we find home when our homes have shape-shifted into sinister haunted houses we don't recognize? When we have opened our eyes from the dream to find ourselves in a wilderness but it doesn't feel like we've actually moved. Some people call this process of realization and questioning of faith deconstruction, and I don't mind that term. But I prefer to see myself and others as runaways. Whether we were cast out or have run away on our own volition, we are not going blindly. We are all looking for something. Most of us runaways have tasted deep goodness, and we want to taste it again. We have told ourselves wonderful stories and spent years imagining how different life could be. We want more. We want better. A place to rest. A place to call home. So many people I know are in this in-between, running-away place when it comes to their faith. So many of my clients in my small therapy practice are wrestling with questions that, in one way or another, amounts to, how do we find our home again? If any of what I've said so far resonates with you, I want you to hear this. I think we are more than just confused, fearful, or misguided runaways. I think we are holy. Not holy in that stuffy, church pew kind of way, but holy in that we are not settling, not satisfied, but always seeking to transcend. We're setting ourselves apart, searching for something different and better that reflects our faith instead of twisting or mocking it. And ultimately, we are asking our faith to do more about the violence and pain in the world than simply offering thoughts and prayers for victims. It usually feels awful and painful to leave everything we know behind, but it becomes easier if we know that in our searching, We're doing something natural, something quintessentially human, and something that reveals the divine spark in each of us. This quest is something we are all meant to do. We're holy runaways. So there you all go. If you resonate with that, I hope you'll go and pick up a copy, email your receipt to pre-order at holyrunaways.com to get access to that course on spiritual abuse. And I will be back next week with my friend Kevin uh, to talk more about the book. I am so excited about this book, Holy Runaways, Rediscovering Faith After Being Burned by Religion. And goodness gracious, like I said, it is so good to be back here on Queerology. Miss y'all. Bye.